you know, a badge is just a symbol, you know, it's the person within that's the one that's, you know, committing acts. So one person doesn't represent an entire organization uh, profession and the people out there that are selling our profession and name deserve to be, you know, prosecuted and removed from the police department as fast as possible, especially in today's era where one little rock thrown in the water has a ripple effect throughout. And it's not even in the United States or in the state. I mean, it's international uh, ramifications, which in this uh, day and age, I mean, just you see what the results that they can have. Today was like one of those fly dreams. Didn't even see a berry flashing those high beams. No helicopter looking for murder. Two in the morning, got the fat burger. Even saw the lights of the good year blimp. And it went ice cubes up. As hell, but no throwing up. Halfway home, and my page is still blowing up. Today, I didn't even have to use my AK. I gotta say, it was a good day. coming on <laughs> so thank you for having me on it's so now what great. would you like uh, me to refer to you as what would you like me to call you just knock good knock okay well i'm annie it's very nice to meet you <laughs> yes ma'am <laughs> oh god please don't call me ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> how about mademoiselle i like that that's so, cool i like the way he says it so it, yeah that's cool <laughs> that's, that's what it's short for so yeah a little sexier <laughs> But no, yeah, thank you for having me on. Really appreciate it. Uh, always good having good conversations over coffee with good people. So yeah. it's, uh, appreciate it. Yeah. So, so now you are recording from, you're calling us from where? Are you allowed to say where you are? are you, is that, is yes, that? <laughs> this is um, Paradise City, as they refer to it, uh, San Diego. So <sighs> it's probably, I think, um, 70 degrees right now. It's always it's beautiful in San Diego, right? <laughs> That's all they know. That's it's, all they uh, know. 70 degrees every day, um, mid 50s at night. So you put a little sweatshirt on. So, yeah, because it's yeah, just so down here cold. visiting some friends. <laughs> <laughs> California colds. Once it goes below 65, break That's out the, the Queens pocket, guy. So. <laughs> That's the yeah. guy who knows what it is to have actual winter. Yeah, growing up in 70s and 80s watching uh, the Brady Bunch, I never realized like why they have shorts on and like a sweatshirt. And then until I came out here, I got it. Mm-hmm. That would be me. That's me all the time. And then once the sun goes down, you know, you rock the hooded sweatshirt. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you grew up in Queens your whole life? Whole life Queens, there? New York, up until uh, my early 20s. Okay. When did you join law enforcement and what? Yeah, I joined law enforcement at the keen, wise, ripe old age of 21. That's Ooh. the earliest you could join. Okay. So I um, came out here to L.A., where I live in the South Bay. I'm just down in Carlsbad uh, visiting uh, some buddies that came out from out of state, also law enforcement officers, mm-hmm. and um, joined uh, joined the third largest police department in the country. Did something push you into law enforcement? Was it a family business? Like, was it something that your dad was in, or did you just was it something you just had a desire to do? 
Yeah, I come from a long, like pretty much every uh, Irish American in New York, come from a long line of military and law enforcement, uh, family members, you know, uncles, cousins, that whole thing. So in a way, it's the family business, but I didn't, it wasn't dictated upon, you know, this is where you're going to go, or it was just, just came uh, naturally. Um, in my neighborhood, I always kind of, um, we, we were like the protectors of our neighborhood, like any other, I guess, you know, like type of alpha male that grow up in an urban environment. So we always took care of our own. And it was just kind of an extension of that. So growing up in New York City in, you know, 70s, 80s, and 90s, that was on like the decline. And we saw our neighborhood deteriorate. And I was always taught to be uh, be a part of the solution. And if you're not a part of the solution, you're part of the problem. So that was like the quickest outlet to express my um, sense of uh, protections and feelings. And um, but as the years go by, you get more wise, and you can you know get more in touch with yourself. You realize it was more about uh, grew up as a only child. And didn't have any brothers and sisters, but had lots of close friends. But in order to continue that like brotherhood and uh, get closer um, to what you're missing and growing up in life, I realized like the police department's like an extension of your family. So always wanted to have that brotherhood in a profession and, you know, you know military and law enforcement. It's like one of the best, best uh, professions you can go into to, to capture that feeling. And then, you know, even deeper beyond that is, um, you know, you go into like what, what makes a man a man and uh, goes back to like tribalism. So it's just, just another tribe where a group of brothers go out, protect, and uh, come back home and then do their thing. So it goes back to the, the caveman, <laughs> caveman type of feeling. So that's, that's all man is, just a smarter caveman. So go out there with a mission to do good and uh, battle out of those that aren't doing so good. That's a big move. Like I can hear the burrow in your voice like when you say neighborhood and stuff like that. But what made you go west? Like that's a big move to go from Queens to LA. Yeah, yeah, it was, especially like pre-internet where, you know, your only outlet of information was, you know, a little bit on the news, books, newspapers, and you couldn't really dive deep like you can now. And uh, I had a good buddy that uh, alerted me to that uh, LAPD was recruiting um, nationally. This is a uh, post Rodney King. So I was just about had, to say uh, that's about what mid nineties. Yeah. 1995 when okay. I came out to test OJ, that's and a big, that was like right after OJ too, right after he was convicted. Uh, acquitted, excuse me. The, the trial when I, when I came out here to test, the trial was still going on. So I was staying in downtown LA and of course you had to drive past uh, the courthouse to see what was going on, all the maniacs out there. Mm -hmm. and, and then, you know, jumped on to, you know, going to the actual location, going to, you know, Bundy and Rockingham. Yeah. So that was just like, it was still going on. Like the streets were barricaded, people wow. trying to visit. I mean, it was in the thick of it. So it was kind of a tumultuous time uh, for Los Angeles and the police department itself. So what led me to that was, you know, my buddy tell me the recruiting, but before that was, you know, um, when I was growing up, you know, probably like uh, preteens, uh, I was always fascinated with the West Coast culture, you know, kind of started with uh, BMX, 
uh, freestyling, skateboarding, that whole scene. And New York had a little touch of that, but it was nowhere near what California was at. I mean, they were always on the cutting edge of, you know, anything artistic. So uh, a buddy of mine that now lives in Arizona, uh, uh, somehow we made like a pack. Hey, when we grow up, we're going to go to Berkeley, California, uh, college, do our thing. I was going to do marine biology out of all things. I was always had an affinity with the ocean. So that was, uh, I was at a young age, Berkeley and LA, like two different worlds. Like, Mm -hmm. like California is people think have this one thought of what California is, but it's, it's almost like three different States, like Northern central and Southern completely different mentalities, different landscape, different everything. And they're all unique in their own right. And, uh, so yeah, so just at a young age, I had a strong interest in anything, California, you know, music business, uh, you know, like I said, uh, BMX, that type of thing. So I had a lot of, um, I read a lot of LAPD books and, you know, books about uh, the music scene in Los Angeles. So there was always that gravitational pull out West. So that's how I ended up getting out here. That's great. So now when you started, did you start, what was the first job that you had? In law enforcement? Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty much my first, you know, major law like enforcement beat, job. Was it just considered like a beat cop, like just a normal, oh, like, yeah, patrol? Job with, like, mm-hmm. Yeah, job within the job. Yeah, pretty much every uh, police department you start off, you mm-hmm. do your six-month academy, and then you go into some kind of field training uh, scenario with, uh, with a more experienced field training officer for about a year. So you do like kind of an apprenticeship, and then after that, you're on your own, but it's within a uniformed uh, police capacity. So your basic patrol cop at you call 911, we're showing up. So how soon after that did you know where you, what division you wanted to go into? You get what's called, every assignment you have, you get what's called a wish list and uh, or some places call it a dream sheet. You usually get three choices of, okay, put down wherever you want to, wherever you want to go. And for me, it's always, I've never gotten any of my assignments, which (laughs) actually becomes a blessing. Like whatever you don't want the most, you know, you get pushed to that and then it's for a reason. So right. I, uh, when I first came out of the Academy, I got sent to Hollywood, which was kind of at the time, kind of like a Times Square in the eighties and nineties, really seedy, you know, drug dealers everywhere, prostitutes, just pretty much what, you know, like what you would see in, in colors and pretty woman type of thing. Mm-hmm. So it was great. It was a really good era. Uh, for uh, to work in Hollywood as a compared to what it is now it's completely different kind of like what Times Square is now completely different from what it was when I was growing up yeah I growing up in California people would talk about wanting to go to Hollywood and I was like why (laughs) yeah it's only the name on the pictures like that was not a place to go at all oh really no I've only been there as a kid, so I have nothing to really compare it to. But I do see, for me, Manhattan, living in this area my entire life, I do see the draw to it. I couldn't live anywhere else. Like, I always say that you can can move here from anywhere. But once you live here, it's almost impossible to move somewhere else. So I'm fascinated that you moved out to Los Angeles from New York, especially being a Queens guy. Because a city guy is, it's very hard to move anywhere else. Because I think New York is just, I think it's one of the greatest places on earth. Oh, no doubt. I, I love going back. It feels totally different now. It's like, kind of like a tourist almost. You know, it's, everything changes so rapidly with, uh, within a year. I mean, 
Yeah, but you're lucky you sound it. You still sound like you belong, so you're you're good. <laughs> Cabs won't take advantage of you. <laughs> right. For some reason, on the West Coast, uh, I always get everyone always hits me up if I'm from Boston. I have yeah. a lot of Boston. Oh, friends. really? Yes. And for some reason, it, New Yorkers know immediately. But yeah. Now everyone thinks Boston for whatever reason. Oh yeah, no, I definitely hear a borough. Like I would have, I probably, I Queens might have been my second one. I probably would have. I, I don't think I would have said Long Island first. I might have. Oh, I don't know. You. But uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> okay, so then you got yeah. into. So you didn't get your first or second dream list, but so what did you end up getting? Yeah. So after Hollywood, then now I'm officially off what's called probation, probationary period. Once you're done with your field training officer and year of probation, now you're like a tenured employee. So I got sent to. A uh, beautiful place called Van Nuys in the San Fernando Valley. <laughs> Just basically an armpit of the city. Nothing sexy about it whatsoever, especially during that time period. It was on the, the downslide and uh, kind of uh, just a suburban, you know, shitty uh, strip malls, you know, low income apartments, some decent parks, um, up more in anything in the hills, wherever what city you're in, usually is. A pretty decent area so we had a little little sliver of some good high-end neighborhoods but for the most part it was just bland and bleak and hot like the hottest part of the city of los angeles is the san fernando valley so i didn't even know how to pronounce the word when i read you know like van what is this van eyes what yeah. the hell i was like where am i going and no no cultural basis of uh background or anything of knowledge of what it really was and uh but it ended up being an amazing assignment met some ridiculously good cops working out there put in a lot of hard work and it was it was perfect it was just uh just what i needed at the time were you doing any um type of detective work at the time or were you still i i don't want to say just but what people think of as somebody who has you know kind of their assignments they they're in a they're in a patrol car they you know do their thing yep. you know every you know for 40 hours or so a week and then they're they're you know um so i you know i guess a lot of times it's called a beat cop or whatever but that was yep. that was more or less where you started like doing that yeah yeah uh i ended up doing i want to say maybe uh maybe like about a year in just patrol and I linked up with a good partner and we were just kicking ass out there. We were locking up, you know, some really hardcore criminals, career criminals, um, a lot of gang members. So uh, when you're brand new, you try to make a name for yourself and, you know, put out good work product and not get in trouble, stay under the radar, but still put up stats on the board. And so I was starting to get noticed and I got picked up by uh, a unit called the career criminal unit. And which at the time was headed by uh, a cop that was a former uh, Bronx native and and fellow Yankee fan, oh, an Irishman. So we were uh, when we linked up, we were off to the races. So the career criminal unit went after uh, just what it says, career criminals. So it was more of an investigative assignment, working in plain clothes, uh, you know, doing surveillances, long-term investigations. So pretty much like the opposite of being a cop in uniform where you're just every going from call to call to call. And then at the end of the day, your, your day is done. 
uh, the slate is wiped clean and the career criminal unit, we are working with informants and, you know, doing undercover stuff and, you know, just really good, you know, good, sexy policing that you see <laughs> in the movies, you know, uh, what I, what I wanted to do, what, what my goal was. So I was like my first, you know, time getting my beak wet into something I, I really you know, like, all right, this is, this is what, this is what I came here for. And uh, it, was, it was outrageous. It was great. Do you still follow up fear. on them? Like the ones you put away, do you still have it at like somewhere like a, an idea, like you want to know what this guy's doing now and that guy's doing now. Do you still follow up on them? You know, I used to, and um, you know, you just kind of forget the names. You just, through the years of, uh, I'm on like 24 years now, you just kind of, you kind of forget some, you know, names and the details and, and uh, uh, one name I, I, I kind of check up on every now and then. It's just, was it's, it's so fr- fresh due to his lineage. Um, it was a guy arrested, uh, it was the grandson of Ronald Reagan, of all people. It was dri- we were driving down the street. I think we were, you know, just going to get lunch or something. It was innocuous. And as I'm looking out the window, I see this guy kind of hovering by cars, looking both ways, looking really suspicious. And it looked like he was like lifting uh, car handles on doors. So I, I'm in the backseat. I'm like, hey, guys, I think someone's breaking into cars. So we do our thing, park down the street, do a little surveillance, see him hitting numerous cars. Like, all right, let's uh, let's go in. Long story short, we end up jamming him up, and um, it happens to be Ronald Reagan's grandson. And so we end up linking him to all these car break-ins, um, some um, you know burglaries and um, drug activity and what have you. And through that, we ended up. Meeting, um, meeting his dad. Dad came down to the police station with his mom, and uh, I mean, it's just one minute you're thinking you're going for coffee, and then the next minute you're talking to Ronald Reagan's uh, grandson and son. So, just um, just another day in L.A. So, yeah, that was one guy kind of kept track of to see that if he ever, um, you know, straightened out in his life and what have you. And um, last time I checked it. He was like progressing in his crimes, which mm-hmm. unfortunate, but yeah, you never want happened. to see that. No, no. I mean, yeah, one of the one of the best times in my career was I arrested. Uh, fast forward, and years later, I was working undercover um, vice, and we were on the Venice uh, boardwalk uh, doing like an off-duty detail where we was looking for like quality of life crimes. So basically people drinking beers, you know, doing drugs, just, you know, low level stuff. And, um, someone hit me up to buy some drugs and the guy ended up actually being from Brooklyn from the projects, uh, I believe, um, uh, the pink houses, I want to say. And, um, and so we was doing our thing. We ended up arresting him for selling drugs to me. And, uh, a year or so after, once I went back into uniform in a field training officer capacity, teaching rookies and um, doing something at some scene downtown LA. And uh, I see this guy, you know, zooming up to me on a bike and uh, big eyes wide, gets off the bike. He's like, hey, how are you doing? I'm like, uh, uh, great, how are you? I have no <laughs> idea who he is. And he's like, he's looking at me like he's expecting a res- more of a response. He's like, do you remember me? I'm like, uh, should I? And he's like, he's like, yeah, do you remember uh, buying drugs on the beach? And I'm thinking, I'm like, oh, and then it all came together. I'm like, yes, yes. He's like, yeah, that was me. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I remember now. How are you doing? 
And he proceeded to tell me uh, what was a success story. After he ended up getting arrested, that was like his rock bottom, went to jail, uh, got off drugs, uh, obviously stopped selling drugs. And when he came out, um, pretty much restarted his life, um, rekindled his relationship with his wife, you know, got clean, got a job, stable job. And, you know, he just wanted to, he saw me and he just wanted to, you know, reconnect and congratulate me for turning his life around. And it was great to see him like super healthy, clear eyed, positive, you know, and being a productive member of society. So that was like one of the few things where someone, you know, found me and, um, and prized, prized me of what was going on, you know, part two of their life. So that was a really special, special moment. That's nice. It's nice to have both ends, like, you know, to see things come full circle. I mean, obviously not for the other guy, the first guy, but, you know, it's, it's kind of like what you got when you were saying, like, you moved out there because you wanted to be emotionally invested. Like, it's kind of like, that's the connections you were looking to make, being a part of something. Like, even though it's a brother, not the brotherhood you wanted to see someone, you know, with a criminal, but it's, you're a part of something. You're a part of that guy's life forever. Like, he'll, you know, you're probably more... You probably don't even realize the impact you had on him today, too. Like, you don't think about it as often as he does, but he probably thinks about you every day. Maybe. Yeah. It's a, you know, it's, it's unbelievable how everyone's connected. Yeah. And, um, and you know, hopefully, uh, you know, Ronnie's uh, grandson's doing better. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't checked in in a while. So some, some people just takes longer. Some people, sometimes it takes shorter, but hopefully everyone gets there little by little. Yeah. yeah. It's like the alcoholic with the with the coin in the pocket, right? Like you're like that guy's coin. (laughs) Yeah. um, Yeah. Who knows? (laughs) But yeah, that's, that's the side of uh, policing that, you know, a lot of people don't see or they just, they don't make movies about that. That doesn't sell. Yeah. You know, sometimes uh, had to turn a bad thing into a good thing. And Mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's the best case scenario that we're looking for. It's just to, you know, correct behavior and get people back on the right track rehabilitation, whatever it is. And um, yeah, hopefully there's more success stories out there. We just don't come across it. And um, unfortunately, the public doesn't hear about that. They just kind of seen step one. And they're not seeing the end game. So So now you seem like such a, I don't want to say sensitive person, but you're very, you're very emotionally aware of all the people around you. And you want to make, you want to turn situations for the better. When you, after you left that division and you got into some heavy heavy duty undercover stuff right Mm -hmm. how how are you able to put yourself into a mindset where you're able to kind of do what you have to do like if it's hurting somebody or saving somebody or because you really put your life on the line in those situations and when you are that in touch with yourself emotionally it's got to be very hard to separate I would, I would think it would be, does, am I making sense? Like it's, you yeah. know, cause you, you could, cause you do have to do things that you wouldn't ordinarily do, or you do have to think outside of what you like, you know, like, Oh God, this sucks that this is the way that this is, but I have to get things done. Like you have to put your all, all of your, you know, preconceived ideas aside and do what needs to be done. Like, and I got I would have to imagine that's very hard to do. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's an emotional job. I mean, you're dealing with, uh, you know, emotions that, that run rampant, you know, from, you know, someone that's, uh, wants to kill themselves, someone that wants to kill you or other people. And you have to be first, like you said, in touch with yourself, you know, find your inner peace 
in order, you know, to be that, to be that voice. And especially now as a supervisor, you know, have that influence upon others when, you know, things um, on the downturn and on downslope and to be that, that, um, that, that stomp, the, the calm and steady person in order to control situations and control others. So, but first that, that always starts with you. You can't, you know, it's like going into a situation when that's chaotic and you always see people, you know, yelling, calm down. It's like in the history of calming down, no one's ever calmed down when <laughs> someone's yelling, calm down. So it's like, you have to be within yourself calm. And it's what you see in a lot of these police videos of guys having their emotions, getting, let the, get, getting the best of them. And it just escalates from there. So you have to come into a situation and say, hey, look, you know, I know you're pissed, but hey, let's take it down a notch. And if, you know, in a steady, calm voice, stern, but not, but in control, that's how you de-escalate and relieve tension within a scenario. So, yeah, it's a lot about keeping yourself in check before you can keep anyone else in check. And that just comes with uh, having good mentors, um, having great, you know, had the great pleasure of working with some unbelievable partners, super lucky of having great bosses and great mentors and seeing how they did things and just taking the best of all these different guys I've worked with and then honing it into, honing into myself. So it wasn't always like that, but through the years, that was always the goal of when you'd see people just walk into a crazy chaotic, chaotic situation and just be the coolest guy in the room and that calm under fire. It's like, all right, that's the way to handle the situation as opposed to someone else amplifying things. So that's good. Cause I would find that I find it very hard to do. Cause I worked on the floor of the New York stock exchange for 18 years. So for me, yeah. it was like, we had to really like yell as loud as we could interrupt as many people as we could. That way they didn't get the buy. They didn't get the sell. We, we beat them to the punch. You know, I took offers before as many people as I could. So it's the complete opposite. Like it, you didn't, the, the, your job was to, to not control yourself. Like you had to get out there and just push everybody else aside. So I would find what you had to do very difficult. So, and I'm impressed yeah. that people are able to do it because I know that I would not be able to. Yeah, so. it's, it's, it's hard, believe me. It's, it's, it's an art to it. But uh, on a side note, I just watched Oliver Stone's Wall Street. I was always <laughs> fascinated by Wall Street. I worked for a minute like down by on, uh, on uh, one Water Street, I want to say, uh -huh. not too far from there. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I, I dabbled for a minute of thinking about going into Wall Street, and it just kind of just evaporated. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, to talk about a loud, crazy, chaotic, chaotic. Uh, <laughs> I uh, loved place it. To work, I don't but... know any different. I don't know any different. I was my dad worked down there. I followed in his footsteps. You know, when we were kids, they didn't have these day camps like they do now. Like they have these amazing day camps that our kids that we just seem to put them in the car and drive them and shuttle them everywhere. I had to go to work with him every day, so I learned very quickly what it, you know how to take an order and, and get a look and all that stuff and it was in my blood and I love it it's one thing that I'm I was good at that I knew that I could do and so yeah. when I hear about other people like what you do I'm I'm fascinated by it and then my dad also died 9-11 and um so I am so indebted and like I'll always I'm so respectful of cops and firemen and I'm I just think what you guys do is incredible I'm so I'm I'm honored to be talking to you because I think that um People don't respect you guys as much as they should every day, not just when something major happens. It's every day you wake up and you put yourself in harm's way, whether you know it or not, because you're a target just because you're a cop.
And I think people don't respect that as much as they should. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, those probably same people don't respect the parents or don't respect the city that they live in. And it's just an extension. We just become, we're like the, the most visible form of government and an outlet for people's aggression and frustration. But again, they probably don't respect themselves because you're not going to, you know, act the fool out in the street if you really, you know, if you're in touch with yourself and other people's feelings and what have you. But, um, more importantly, uh, my condolences to you on Thank losing you. your dad. Um, yeah, that's, uh, I can't imagine that. Uh, some of my best memories are going to work with my old man. He worked for the uh, MTA, Transit Authority, in New York City. So we had the, he had the keys to the city. And when I'd go to work with him as a young kid on my days off, and uh, it was just amazing, you know, to see the old man at work and, you know, handling, uh, handling his job and directing mm-hmm. his men and doing his thing and then, you know, traveling across Manhattan at that time. It was just a magic time. So to lose that type of relationship for me would be like the end of my world. Uh, so I can't imagine how hard that is for someone that had that connection to a parent like that. So mm-hmm. my heart goes out. Um, we Thank just, you. uh, yeah, yeah, that's, I, I, yeah, it brings back a lot of memories. Um, so I worked, I left LA in 2000 and went to NYPD. So obviously during post 9-11, we're down there at ground zero and great kills landfill, mm-hmm. uh, recovering, recovering as much as we could and trying to re, uh, reconnect people with their loved ones via whatever it was, uh, mm-hmm. bones, artifacts, uh, you know, you know, little things like that. And yeah, I, one of the toughest, toughest uh, things I've ever done in my life. I bet. I'm always amazed at how, um, like when you see the magnitude of what happened on 9-11, it's posted everywhere on TV. But what people I don't think realize is the days and months after how structured it was. Like it was Mm. assembly line, I mean, right from the beginning, right when they went into, you know, rescue and retreat. And once they discovered that it was like, you know, you know, it was search and rescue, I should say, then it was you know, retrieving people. And then, but it was always an assembly line. It was always very, very well organized. So I, I, that's another tribute, like a testament to the, to the discipline that you guys have, because I don't think anybody from my side, like the emotional impact that we had, we weren't dealing with a full deck at that time. We were just emotional wrecks, but the way that um, the NYPD came in with the medical examiners and they were so organized like everything was done. It, it wasn't, it was this, and it was repeatedly done the same way. Everything was done a certain way, very structured, very um, organized. And I don't think people realize that. And that had to be extremely hard too, because you're dealing with us on the other side, like going hysterical every time you had to tell somebody that we found, we, we had eight hits. You know, we got nine hits on this part of this person. I couldn't imagine being you guys on the opposite end, having to go over that every day. Because that 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 takes a toll. I would have to assume that it does. Because for us, it did. Oh, without without a doubt, uh, the, you know, the body and the mind doesn't. They keeps track of everything. It's it's mm-hmm. taking a toll whether you want it or not. Uh, but what I I leaned on the most was every day when we'd roll in from Brooklyn to Manhattan, there was always a contingent of people in a West Side highway of 
citizens with signs, you know, mm -hmm. yes, exactly. Uh, with signs up, you know, we love you guys. Thank you for what you're doing. And mm -hmm. after working like 16 hour days and coming into work, you know, obviously just emotionally and physically just beat down. But then when you see that, when you're rolling up, you know, immediately boost your spirits and your soul and your heart and everything. And so it was the, the citizens and the city of New York and greater mm -hmm. United States of America really lifting everybody up where we could accomplish those, you know, Herculean tasks of, you know, getting that job done, which was just enormous. There was no blueprint for it. I mean, it's really, I mean. No, you guys happened. executed it. It was amazing. I mean, the precision and the way that everything was done. So it was very detail oriented. And I, it's something that gets overlooked and it's not, doesn't get overlooked intentionally. I mean, it's just something that I think the common person doesn't understand. And I think because I went where I worked and the amount of people that we lost and um, the amount of like the, the way that it landed on my lap, my dad's company that I had to deal with all these, I had so many widows, I had seven widows, uh, there were 14 kids, like it was just so much. So I had, to, I had to deal with everybody individually that I got to see a different side that most people wouldn't have. And it was just, it was amazing to me to watch the way that you guys worked and everybody worked with each other. And I would have thought that everybody had known each other but so many of the officers were meeting each other for the first time. And, and it was just across the board. I thought everybody worked so well together. And yeah, I mean, it really shows what, what America is capable of, you know, yeah. working with each other instead of working against each other, which it seems like where we're at now. Uh, yeah, Very I much say so. The, I was the, about to go to O'Malley. Yeah, I was going to say the signs, the signs that, and, and this speaks to our age being um, in our forties versus even like my kids. I, my son, who yeah. um, is that, is very aware. Grew up, you know, loving the police and military. He wanted to be Batman for like eight years. Um, you know, wasn't? he's very <laughs> yeah. He he's been you know impacted. He's not anti law enforcement, but he's he's very like this is this is not good. And he's he turns twenty three today. Oh my god! <laughs> and wow. um, yeah, I'm so old. <laughs> and it's like. <laughs> I saw this kid who idolized and he loved being, cause we, he grew up being outside Camp Pendleton. He idolized certain people, you know, like he, the military, uh, law enforcement, all of that. And now the signs that are being held and the things that are being done are not those thank you signs. <laughs> They're very, very different, oh, yeah. which is, is, which is bringing us to more or less, you know, kind of what I wanted to talk about which is mm -hmm. this year <laughs> for, for the average citizen has been wild um, and crazy. For you, what have you experienced? I know you're in a different situation. You're not doing, you know, the normal, you know, you're not 20 years ago, Nako, you're, you know, yep. you are elevated now, but I know you've been in a line at night or a day or whenever when there's protesting where you just have to hold the line and you're just standing there right. getting people saying, you know, things that they don't know. And they're probably kids, you know, Jackie's age that are yeah. saying now Jackie's not doing that, but you know, he's doing a, a totally different, like kind of like awareness <laughs> type of yeah. thing. But, but there are people who are 
they're not just treating you horribly, but there's videos of these people like throwing people, people who are sitting outside just trying to have like a, a, a dinner at a restaurant and give like the restaurant, you know, owner a business because the restaurant was closed and they're just going up to them and like throwing their food around them and tossing their tables. And they're just they're like mobs of people are, and they think they're, they're bringing awareness and they're, they're doing what's right. And it's like, it goes back to what you said, where you, if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem and, and like why right. you started and they see the videos that come out, they see nine mm -hmm. minutes kneeling, which is awful and horrible. So I want to put like a good face on law enforcement, just because that is my background, much like you, the, the Irish American with the military and the, the law enforcement um, family, that's our lineage, so to speak. Um, I think my bigger point and my bigger question is, I've always looked at things kind of in that, um, when I was in groups and we had to do something, either drill team or whatever, that we had, if somebody, screwed up we all had to do something 40 times over we all had to stay an hour there's a lot of people who don't have that they never were a part of an organization where somebody screwed up and everybody else was impacted yes if you've never had that you don't have the ability i think to understand what i'm saying from um from this point of view i want to i back the badge i full support of law enforcement I get angry when certain things are allowed by certain departments. And I, and I, mm -hmm. because I think that the guy who kneels on a man's neck for nine minutes is not showing people the best of law enforcement. This is somebody who is working within, within they're wearing a costume, they're, they're putting on the badge, but they have different mentality. They have their own. Yes. They have their own um, agenda. They're not a part of that brotherhood. So it fr this is yes. the one thing that frustrates me. And this is where people go, oh, you must be a lib. I want to bat the badge and I see mm -hmm. these people that are acting out um, of character for what they're supposed to, um, somebody who would act in a way that you would never do. And I see them as like the enemy within. Mm -hmm. That's how I view them. And when sure. they're, they're not prosecuted, when they're not fired, when they're allowed to, this is, this is what sparked the, the other people, the people who don't have a concept of what you, how hard it is to protest. And then it caused the other people to say, oh no, we're, you know, like we back the badge blindly. There's a middle mm -hmm. ground. And this is what I kind of want to dissect today is, yes how do you feel about this when this type of thing happens? Now, a lot of times videos start too late, don't show what happened beforehand. There's always, there's a lot of things, but there are some videos that it doesn't matter where it started and began. There are some things that are just so, so bad. Yeah. What do you say as law enforcement about the, the, the bad actors I'm not talking Twilight films. I'm talking about like um, bad cops, you know, cut people yeah. who wear the badge, but they have no brotherhood. I can't like, to me, that is, that's not loyalty. They're disloyal to their, to you. 
when they do that. Oh yeah. That's how I see it. To everyone, to everyone. And a lot of people just see it blindly as, nope, he has, he's wearing a badge. He's wearing a uniform. You have to back him. I I just, I can't get that. Like, I can't get that mentality. Like I get it in the bigger picture of they're, they're ruining your reputation. Yeah. So I, I, I struggle with people on both ends. Not everything is fuck the police and, and not everything is, you know, back the badge. Yeah. Yeah. I say, I say back the truth, yeah. back the truth. And, you know, a badge is just a symbol, you know, it's the person within that's the one that's, you know, committing acts. So one person doesn't represent an entire organization, uh, profession and the people out there that are selling our profession and name deserve to be, you know, prosecuted and removed from the police department as fast as possible, especially in today's era where one little rock thrown in the water has a ripple effect throughout. And it's not even in the United States or in the state. I mean, it's international uh, ramifications, which in this uh, day and age, I mean, just you see what the results that it can have. So I say I have a, have a mantra that I put out is just because someone's wearing the uniform of a policeman doesn't necessarily make them a policeman. Like, yeah, they, they, they met the standard, you know, maybe, you know, 15, 20 years ago, and they're wearing that uniform, but they haven't upkept what a real policeman and a cop is. And that means, you know, training as much as you can and trying to better yourself, uh, trying to better other people. There's just some people, once they hit that mark and they come out of the academy, they, they, they take the foot off the gas pedal and they just become, uh, you know, excuse my French, just, uh, you know, just a lump of shit. And... Some of these videos that you're seeing, you know, that's that's the result of it is just, you know, average to below average players out there or actors out there on in the neighborhoods and on the streets. And so you couple that with um, possibly lowered stand, lowered hiring standards and lower low standards of uh, training, if any, in certain police departments. And that's what you're going to get. So when I see this uh, defunding thing, it uh, it really, really pisses me off because uh, we're so so many police departments are underfunded and uh, the resources aren't allocated to you know training or um, mental health capacities to get people through their career and help them out in tough times as you navigate this profession where I said you know the body keeps its count of all these different horrible incidents that you see throughout your career and you know it keeps on you know chipping away at your stone and. So the resources, let me put that out to the public, you know, the resources for, you know, everyone's talking about mental health and, you know, social work type apparatus, pretty much in almost any city, especially the major cities, the money's there. It's just that it's being misused. So to say, we're going to take from this department and put to another, that's just, that's just people that have an ax to grind and it's, they're using it as like punishment. So, you you know, the basic structures of, of government is, you know, the, supporting infrastructure, you know, security, um, education. Those are your bedrocks of a healthy city and state and country. You, you want to support that. That's that's the base for everything else to build. So to erode from that, that's wrong. What you need to do is um, take that money and put it to the right things. And one of those things is training. And that's what a lot of these police departments 
Um, it's an afterthought because it's not really sexy and uh, rather have overtime for enforcement or whatever, you know, different, you know, equipment and, and personnel uh, for recruitment and salaries and all that. But you have to have properly trained people out in the streets. And obviously the guys that you've seen out here getting in trouble, they're, they're not being, they're not trained. So what I tell people is we're in the major leagues of policing, especially in the major cities. So all the eyes are on us. So you can't be a Derek Jeter and, um, or if you want to be a Derek Jeter, you have to be out there practicing every day. You know, the guys that are on the field, they're not, not taking batting practice. Uh, they're not warming up, uh, just coming out into the field cold. They've, they've put in the work and that's what you have to do as a professional. So to me, a cop is professional. That's someone that's sharpening that sword every day, trying to better themselves. And there's not enough emphasis on in that in policing right now. So, and then, so my fear is as they take resources away from police departments, i.e. money, the first thing that usually gets chopped is money for training. And so that's going to give an even, you know, lesser capable police force out there in a time where you need even greater uh, people out there with uh, better trained and smarter, more educated and what have you. So yeah, that's, the, uh, that's a big thing. The the cutting of funds, I see people thinking that if they if they say defund the police, you know, look, they have tanks, look, they have armored, they have look. Why are why are we militarizing our you know our cop? That our money's going to them where it should be over here. But like you said, the training's going to go. The training money is going to go first, which is yeah, training, kind of recruitment the, salary. The the base of where people say they want money to go, which is you know say social services or helping people as you know in their youth, so that they don't become criminal, like so that we have a better educational system. They want the money to go somewhere else, but in the meantime, we defunded a lot of education back before. I mean, when I was in school, when you were in school, like this is forever ago. They took money out of being giving us some of the the things that we needed, the well-roundedness. They removed that, and then now we have more criminals, it seems like, than ever. It just seems like we just do. And that causes a situation where you have to put then, well, you're not protecting, you're not protecting the neighborhood, not protecting the city if you don't give the money to the cops, to the police departments. And then if you defund them, then you're doing the same thing that they did, I don't know, 35, 40 years ago, where they started taking money from being well-rounded and being able to be a good citizen. And, you know, they just, you know, started making schools just like have less and less programs and just get good grades. You know, you're here for the test. You know, you, you go to school to take the test, to, to go to school the next year to take a test. And they're, they're coming out and people are wondering like, why do we have a problem? Like you take the training away from cops, you're going to have the same problem that you're trying to fix over here with education. So I don't really understand it. I think people think defund means this department won't get a tank or an armored vehicle, or they won't look militarized anymore, but it's going to take away from the very thing that they believe that you need. Yeah. You never want the minimum standards. You always want to raise the standard. So you want to have a good, solid salary to attract the best possible candidates out there. You want to 
you want you, you want your A team out there on the streets, and you're not going to get that when you have a demoralized uh, police force with um, with crappy benefits and crappy uh, lack of training and everything else. You know, I mean, it's going to be shit in, shit out, and that's what we're headed for. And it's all cyclical. If you look back to the '60s and '70s, you know, all this this playbook has already been tried and it had disastrous results. But unfortunately, it seems like in America, the only way we learn is by bottoming out and then rebuilding. You know, same thing during 9-11. You know, it's like we're not focusing on things that we should be focusing on. And then we got hit hard and now we got bottomed out. And like, hey, now we got to ramp up. And unfortunately, that plays itself over and over again in whatever arena that you're going to look at. It's just, you know, I don't know. I guess that's, that's humanity. It's just the way we learn. We got to learn the hard way, but it doesn't have to be that way. So goes right back to the guy that stopped you on the bike, right? Yeah. Yeah. You had to hit rock bottom and it doesn't have to be that way. You know? So I tell people, I just rested someone the other day, young guy in his his twenties. I'm like, this is your first arrest, but let it be your last arrest. Like you do not want to go down this road. I see how this ends all the time. So see, the guy was comfortable coming up to you because of how you treated him. Because your mm-hmm. mind, body, you know, a- ability to stay cool, calm, collect, all of that that you're talking about, he wouldn't have come back to you if he might have had the same results, gone to jail and w- within the system, gotten clean. But he wouldn't have looked at you and thought, I got to thank him. I got to tell him. Because if you, no, were a total just, to him. if you were just, uh, you know, just awful to him or, be, you know, like hit his head you know, a couple of times going in the, you know, in the, and the, and the, you know, whatever it is, it's, I'm not trying to laugh at, please. I'm just saying, you know, like that, that doesn't happen mm-hmm. if you weren't the role model that, that we would hope that all law enforcement um, would be. And that we hope that people understand that that is the majority of law enforcement. Right. So all of this that's happening is, is, um, you know, it's unfortunate because it's just, it's, you know, the squeaky wheel type of thing, but in the, in the worst yes. way possible. And that's who's getting the attention. And that's awful. So um, what have been some of your experiences with um, protesters? Yeah, uh, the riots lasted probably, I want to say maybe about a good, like solid two weeks. So right when the riots kicked off here in L.A., uh, we were immediately deployed working in uh, uniform capacity at first in um, unmarked cars and uh, going, going head on uh, primarily in downtown LA. And I kind of feel guilty about saying it, but kind of like 2020 and this particular, I mean, it was, it was a great moment for us. It, it was exhilarating. You know, one, it was exciting. And two, it was great to see everything that we've been training for, myself included, uh, this was like going into the World Series of policing. You know, besides like, you know, September 11th in the aftermath, you know, this is one of those highlights of, you know, the worst case scenario. And this is what you train for and this is what you want to be. This is what you want to be at ground zero of whatever disaster that's kicking off. And it was our time to shine. And my unit did spectacular. We... Um, went uh, went head on uh, and um, 
never, no, didn't, didn't, um, none of my guys got hurt. We made some spectacular good arrests. Um, and I had a good time doing it, which is fun. <laughs> and go to work and have a good time and rose above our level of training and didn't hurt anybody out in the street and everyone. So everyone was safe. The other side was safe that we combated. And it was like, it, it was almost too perfect of how it went down. Uh, and it was just, you know, I, I couldn't have predicted how well it went for our guys and the people we encountered. So, which is very rare in policing, especially in a super kinetic environment as a, as a riot. So other people didn't have those experiences. You know, there were, you know, people that got shot, killed and hurt. And I feel horrible. Um, but my particular uh, time and during the riots, um, it was, it was tremendous. You know, it's the same thing as like 2020 for a whole, um, people dying out there, losing family members, uh, losing a job, uh, losing the sanity. I feel horrible. Uh, but I think, you know, life is all about those challenges. So it's like, you can't get a bigger challenge for most people than this year and to meet that challenge and rise above it. It's just been for me personally exhilarating. It's like, all right, this is, you know, this is really where, you know, the rubber meets the road and this is what see that grit resilience within others that you work with and within yourself. Um, I, I couldn't ask for more. It's like, you, you want these things in, in life. You don't want, at least I don't want myself just to be on cruise control. I'm like, right. What else is out there? What, what more can I do? What, you know, how much more can I pull for myself? And, and I, I tried to tell people, my guys, uh, like, yeah, this is horrible things that we're going through right now. But when we look back, we're going to be like, fucking A, it's like, we did it. We, you know, we made it happen. We came out the other side and we're better for it. So it's like, you, you, you want that in life. Um, I mean, it, it's going to make you a better person down the road and, um, don't shy away from struggle or challenge, uh, embrace it as, as much as it sucks at the time, uh, take it and down the road, you're going to be better for it. You can hear the New Yorker in you when you say it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Uh, the, you brought um, up Jeter and you brought up um, yeah. baseball a couple of times. He's just doing, I, I swear he's just doing that just to, just to get it. <laughs> now, you know what happened today in 1996, right? Do you know what happened today? Refresh my memory. Uh, there so, was. All right. So we're in October. Mm -hmm. uh, was it Jeffrey Moore, was it? Uh, yeah, Mayor. I think, I don't know how to pronounce it. Mayor, I, yeah. That's exactly what it was. He caught the ball when yeah. Jeter hit it, and they won the first game, and they ended up winning That's the series. Right. That's right. Yeah. Sorry about it. Yeah. yeah, I wonder what he's up to now. <laughs> I couldn't resist. Yeah. I had to bring it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Once once Derek Jeter re retired, I kind of retired from baseball. Unbelievably, like I haven't followed. I've, you yeah, know, I haven't. I've followed the Yankees, but uh, yeah, just like the, the the heart of the team just got removed. Yeah, for me. So, uh, That's yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm still monitoring, but not as, yeah. not as what I, and this year's just yeah. off. Anyway, you said something yeah. that I, um, I think that the two sides, if, if we have people from two different sides listening, we'll take it differently. You said sure. like it was exhilarating. It was great. Like it was wonderful. Like this is what we trained for. Da, 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 da the side protesting is going to be like, oh my God, see, this is all they want. And, and the other side's going to be like, great, they, they did their jobs. And it, I don't think people are putting it into perspective. Like a heart surgeon 
doesn't want somebody to have something catastrophically happen horrible sure. to them. But when it does, all that training and all of that time and being able to save that person's life is exil- you know, is going to be great, exhilarating. They're going to have a great day. They're going to love the fact that they saved that person and be able to check on them six months down the road, you know, a, mu- a year down the road, five years down the road. They don't want that heart attack or cardiac arrest to happen, but they're glad that their training put them in a position to be able to control the situation, um, save the person's life. When you yep. talked about, um, so I, I hope people do understand I just get it from both sides. So I'm, I really yeah, yeah. want to make this point and not have to do it in my DMs um, 300 <laughs> times. Because um, <laughs> when you said you made some spectacular arrests, I, yep. what happened? What sparked them? What was arrest worthy that was happening for you, for your unit? Uh, yeah. That's right. uh, one particular was a good one where we're patrolling. They had a curfew in downtown LA or throughout the whole city. I forgot what it was, like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, whatever. Mm-hmm. And there was a car driving down the street, uh, caught our attention. And then looking at one way and then another way, uh, we see another car racing past us. And there's a guy holding on to, uh, half in and half out of the car uh, with his hands in the air, woo, screaming and yelling. And we're kind of look like, you know, kind of like a celebration, you know, just mm-hmm. idiots wilding out like, like they were in the riots. So we see that he captures our attention. We immediately turn around and um, stop them. And we find out like kind of goes in play with what your mind is, you know, conditioned for. Like, you know, everyone talks about profiling a lot. Profiling is just something, you know, repeated things that you see that your brain's accustomed to. So you're like, you see one thing, you're like, oh, it's got to be that. But in policing, it's not always that way. Just in life, it's not that. You know, you, you go in with that mindset of like, oh, we just think it's some guys during the riots is trying to get our attention and, you know, piss us off and screaming and yelling. Okay. You know, let's see what they're up to, but it ended up being, we stopped the car and it ended up being this um, guy went to use the ATM machine. And for some reason he left his car running, just hit the ATM machine, you know, a couple of feet away. And as he's getting his money out, someone jumps in his car and takes off with it. He sees that he jumps onto the car and is trying to hold on to deal life to uh, you know, to try to maybe get into the car and stop him. You know, he's watching too many movies and yeah, we come along. Clearly. So we prone out both guys. They both happen to be black on the street, prone them out, get the story. And that's what we find out. And the guy was super nice. And he was so frustrated. It was, uh, I think it was like a week prior. Someone uh, did a hit and run on the freeway and he was an Uber driver. So he had to get his car fixed. And now, you know, he sees his car getting stolen, so he's just completely at wit's end. So we recover his car, we lock up the carjacker, and then, you know, the rest is history after that. So he expressed, you know, so much gratitude. He's like, you know, he was, um, I don't know, maybe in his 50s, and, you know, he was telling us, he's like, hey, you know, you, know, you guys don't hear enough, but people don't know what you guys are doing out here, and, you know, how, how are you really helping people, and what have you, and, you know, I was so frustrated and, you know, it was a, a, a black man victimizing another black man. And then the white cops came to save him. So, I mean, you know, cliche stuff, but it's just, you know, um, yeah, it was just satisfying to see someone like hit rock bottom. And then we, we, we were able to bring them up, you know, by giving them a little relief of, of, uh, you know, putting an end to a, it could have been a really dangerous scenario. And if that guy didn't stop, you know, he wasn't letting go of that car. And, uh, 
could have been disastrous. So that 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 was really great, and for him to express his feelings of what he saw throughout the all the you know the narratives that were going out there against us, and he knew what we were out there doing and trying to help. So that that was really rewarding to see and to be a part of. So, but the exhilarating and part is you know like you captured it perfectly. It's like you you want to have that greatest challenge. So to, to see that challenge and, and do well in it, I mean, it was just like oh yeah, every night we we had good arrests like that and. My guys came home safe and uh, and happy. It was like mission accomplished. So yeah, you want to be thrust in that worst case scenario. Like, you know, you don't want anyone else to do it. You want you. You like I could do this. You know, send me. So that's yeah. Don't not to be confused of yeah. We want to go out there and beat the shit out of people. It's like no, no. We want to alleviate the situation and 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 um, do the best we can. And uh, I think this is my. Uh, Personal barista here with my coffee. Yeah, I had good and, coffee. Uh, yeah, my gal. The Stacey. good coffee. I know. So, you, I know. Yeah, I've been hopefully. dying to talk to her, so I, I gotta like. Yeah, she's, ah. she'll, she'll, she's on the queue. She's yes. never done a podcast before. I know. I'm dying. Uh, homicide for many decades in South Central. So, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. She's... So that's the thing, you know, like just like anyone in sports too. It's like you you want to be in that World Series, you want to be in that Super Bowl, and. If you if you never were, I would imagine you would have that that feeling of um, that emptiness, you know, like vacant, like oh, I, I should have, you know, I, I could have been a contender, you know. Yeah, could so have been a star. That, that's what that's about, you know. Yeah. You want to see what you're made of at the end of the day. Right. right. Wow. So now I I'm sure you haven't kept a journal of like everything. I mean, maybe you did. I don't because like you said, it's all up here. But in hindsight, yeah. like I could just imagine like the one-offs, like on a random Saturday night, you guys are you know driving around and like the fact that you said three times, I think it's been three times, you know, like we just kind of noticed like the random, yeah. like the regular person, like I would just not notice something like that because I don't notice when something's in front of me. <laughs> so I'm looking for, for 20 minutes. It's right there. But the fact that you say that just so nonchalantly, you know, we we're driving around and we happen to notice this guy just randomly like reaching behind him, grabbing door handles, like little things like that. Those little nuances, mm -hmm. you forget them because as they happen and you know, you, like this happened with this guy's grandson and then you moved on probably to something much bigger by the end of the night or um the next day so you kind of just there's probably thousands of them for every one that you remember there's thousands that you probably forgot right like definitely and then someone will bring it up to you and you'll be like oh, oh shit i forgot about that like that was a yes. great story like those one-offs yes. like i could just imagine how many you have <laughs> yeah, there's guys out there that have kept a journal of like every day, you know, activities just in their life, which, man, I, I mean, that, that would be like one of the number one things advice I would give to a rookie or just for anyone. Like, mm -hmm. if you could document every day of your life, even if it's just a paragraph. Right. Wow. I mean, to look back at that. I mean, that's something. I mean, yeah. Is like, did you ever hear of those people that remember every day of their life? Yes. The photo. Like, yes. Like, I think Mary Lou Henner's one of them. I was like, just going to say, yeah, from Taxi, yeah, yeah. the show Taxi. <laughs> I mean, yes. that, I mean, it's like a superpower. Mm -hmm. um, I like you said, do you remember, you know, what happened at the Yankees on this day? I'm like trying to think. I'm like, <laughs> You're good, though. You it? remembered it? it. You even like, got barely, the name. <laughs> but yeah, barely. But, uh, but yeah, I wish I really did keep a journal of, of every day on the job because, yeah, you run into those random people like, hey, you remember when you said this or did that or we encountered this? And yeah, your mind's blowing. Like, I did say that or we did do that. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. Okay. I'm so clever. Yeah. What a great thing. Yeah. I'm good at this. <laughs> I don't know about that. It's usually so dumb, but <laughs> no. like, I, I can't believe it. I did that. <laughs> I remember but. when watching that, um, when they were bringing 
Brett Kavanaugh into into office when they were the Supreme Court thing, and he was going through all that stuff with Blasey Ford. Oh my God. Did you see the journal that he had kept on the calendar? Like he had kept one of those calendars, and every single day he wrote what he had been doing. And they're really? like, "Oh, how convenient!" The guy is like, "Convenient." He's like, "I've had this. I've kept this since I was like ten. He has one. He has kept every calendar." of everything that he's done for every day. I mean, I did it with my first son. I did it with my first son for the first, I think, year and a half. And then my second son came in and I think I got into like three months and Bridget's is still in the, you know, the cellophane. Like I never even opened it for the third one. (laughs) But this guy, and he's kept every calendar of every day of everything he's done for the last like 30 years. But I mean, and like to, to know what I've done every single day is just not interesting. But if you went through like the funny things that you've, you know, the, in, like, I bet yours would be a screenwriter's dream, right? Like all the, I mean, honest to God, like I, we, like my, my husband and I, well, we were, were watching The Shield, which I'm sure you guys probably get a kick out of because it's just probably so far-fetched, but, yeah. um, but it's fun. Like it's entertaining, but I yeah. can just imagine like, cause the truth is so much stranger than oh. fiction. Like you, like how many times Always. a day do you actually say, you can't make this shit up, <laughs> right? Absolutely. I, um, I kind of envy like the young kids, uh, They'll, you know, with smartphones and uh, body cams, they wear, you know, that their whole career is going to be documented or their life, like, like, yeah. you know, like, like Jackie and all that. I mean, they're going through life where every moment could be captured if they want it, uh, which is a double edged sword. As, right. Not know, for a 13 year old right. girl in the 80s. Right? <laughs> yeah. As, you know, as we'll look at, you know, Kavanaugh, you know, as the past comes back, you know, you know, uh, right. yearbooks and what have you. I mean, it's going to come back to haunt a lot of people, unfortunately, but the positive side is you have all these photos through your career and moments and, you know, sayings or what have you. I mean, that's kind of like what uh, Facebook or social media is kind of like a, just like a digital diary, if that's the way you use it. So uh, yeah, uh, absolutely. I would, I, I would have loved to, uh, you know, remembered all those items. Some, there's some guys out there I could remember, Every little thing they did, every arrest, right. that's not me, but yeah, I, I cherish those moments when they do come up. It's, it's pretty amazing. Uh, my you're going to have to start doing it. When you come home from meeting yeah. somebody at a reunion, you, like when someone's like, oh, remember that time? You're going to have to run into the men's room and be like, into your notes. Well, this time <laughs> with this guy, I did this. <laughs> you know what? Even in your 40s, I mean, when you're looking back in your 80s, if you start now, if we start now, and write just, you know, like I said, just a, a paragraph of what your right. day was like, and then look back to see that growth and what your thoughts were, which, you know, we're constantly evolving. We, we hope anyway, you're not the same person you were in your thirties and twenties or what have you. And the funny part is like, we all think, or at least I do, you know, at this moment, you're like, wow, this, I really have, I got to capture. This is the way I want my life to be. Uh, this is, you know, this is the best clothes I, I want to be wearing. And especially with fashion, you know, whatever you're thinking now, you think I'm correct. You're correct. And 20 years from now, you're like, what the hell were we thinking? Like, what the hell? I got a beard and this and that. Oh, my <laughs> God. It's just inevitable. And, and uh, to, ha- you know, to have that, uh, in, that captured, I mean, that's invaluable. So, yeah. yeah, lesson learned to everyone out there. If you're in your 60s, 50s, whatever, 20s, write it down, capture it somehow. You'll thank yourself later on in life. Yeah. No matter how whatever you think your status in life, job, whatever profession, life, mundane, this life is never mundane. It's, it's, it's to be valued. And every day you're alive, uh, you're winning. So even if you're down, down in the dumps at that moment, you know, it's, it's a good moment. Definitely is. What would you say would be the most challenging job you've been on so far? 
most challenging job I've been on? Good question. Uh, Could be physically challenging, emotionally challenging, just all, you know. Uh, I, had, I did a stint where I was investigating um, juvenile crimes, which pertain to uh, physical and sexual assaults against uh, children, and to interview and just deal with parents and, and juveniles, uh, particular females that were uh, sexually abused was just, um, it was heart wrenching. I mean, um, thankfully I had a squad of guys that we worked with that was one of the best squads I worked with as far as like activity, super professional, but we had so much fun, uh, just interacting with each other. We busted our ball, bust each other's balls, like nonstop. I mean, it was just, um, it was like a frat house as far as like commute, you know, just the, the camaraderie. But when we, we came together to work, it was unbelievable. But interviewing uh, kids that were um, harmed by parents or um, um, people that were known to them was just, oh, it, it was brutal. That, that took us all out of me. And um, yeah, I, I was glad that I did that stint, but I, I definitely don't want to go back to that. And it was one of the most frustrating parts was Dealing with, dealing with uh, the criminal justice system is trying to prosecute those cases. So you have someone that breaks down and tells a complete stranger, me, of what, ha you know, the deepest, darkest moments of their life and to try to give them justice and bring that to a district attorney and to have them reject that case based on lack of evidence or what they thought was a lack of evidence and to go back to the family and tell them that you couldn't, we, you know, we couldn't prosecute, just, I mean, it just ripped my soul apart. Because most of the cases up until then, always, if I had an arrest, more than likely it was getting filed and someone was doing jail time. And and it was the complete opposite in that arena, which, you know, just killed me. I mean, it just, uh, yeah, it, it knocked me down a few notches for sure. And to continually do that every day and have to uh, hear those dark moments from kids. It's one thing when you're an adult, I mean, it's always hard, but when it's kids, that is just, you know, some of the best times of your life for me anyway, you know, growing up, you know, 13, 14 or whatever, you know, it's, that should be, you know, one of the golden eras and uh, the darkest eras for these kids, just horrendous. So yeah, that would, that would be it. That kind of took me a minute to think about that. I was, I, I kind of blacked it out myself. I you know, had to, you know, horrible i believe it i gotta imagine that that's that always stays with you and you probably always apply it to something sometime when you're dealing with things because it, it just never goes away but they were lucky to have you because you you are i'm sure you were able to connect with them on a way that they felt safe enough to tell you and that's huge for, for a kid to be able to trust I somebody i hope definitely um, is. it definitely is think of, you know even like the most you know outspoken kid or even like a bully for they they break down at some point too and it's all about trust and the fact that you earn their trust is huge huge i think because kids aren't always so forthcoming so. no no i i know i wouldn't be if i was that age i'd I, I, I bury that away uh and they want to protect right they stay even though the person hurt them they still want to protect them because it is still daddy or mommy like they still have this idea yeah. that they don't they're going to get in trouble by that person so yeah a lot of guilt and shame built into that yeah know? they think they think they did something wrong that's what they were told you, know, you say something yeah. you're in trouble like they they believe what they're told it's so sad 
It's so sad. Yeah. But you're lucky to have worked with guys that you did. They followed your lead. Uh, actually, that and I, I followed their lead. I, I learned oh. the most from them. They were just unbelievable investigators, and uh, yeah, it, it was it was a real honor to work amongst guys that would and they were doing it for many. I was like the most junior guy when I landed there. There were guys doing it for years. I mean, they were just so good at it oh. and had such a heart and compassion for it that that's like a realm of uh, that and uh, what my girl Stacy does, like homicide. Like when people enter those certain professions, like you're either in and out, like I did. Or you're in there long term, and the people that are in there long term that soak that up. I mean, just I, I look up to them. Uh, just the highest level of uh, one of the highest levels of policing, because you're dealing with people at their worst moments and at uh, darkest times. And um, yeah, my my I always tip my hat to those guys, and um, those are the people I look up to. God bless them, right? That they do it. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 one of the toughest toughest gigs out there in the police department. But there are people and, out there um, say yelling, defund the police. I, I I don't think, I really think it, they just don't get it. it I really, I, yeah. I, they just don't get it. Part of it's on us. That's why I do, do podcasts like this. It's I, I take it upon if someone or what I perceive as something that's wrong is I, I failed. I have to educate them. Like, Hey, let me give you a glimpse of what my life is like. And then if you're open to learning, you'll, you'll, you'll see things differently. So I just see it. If, if you think you are right, and someone has an opposing view, educate them. Just take that step. So people that I know that have the opposite opinion, like I understand what you're feeling, um, and you, you, just, you just have like one slice of the pie. And maybe if I just saw that one slice of the pie, I would feel that way. So let me show you the rest. I'm like, come on, a ride along. You know, uh, ask me questions. Um, you know, let, let me put to, put to bed some of these misconceptions. So that's why I do things like this to hopefully just show the other side. And uh, so I don't take it personal when uh, everyone's out there in the riots and what have you, you know, this, this is a profession. So I know they're not screaming at me. I know I didn't do anything wrong. Someone else did something wrong. So I, I tell my guys, just don't take it personal. I've been yelling at, you know, the, the shield on your badge, not yelling at you. So just let, let it be water off your, you know, off your back uh, and just try to, you know, at the end of the day, they, they're yelling at something that's uh, lacking in their life. You know, it could be, you know, whatever. You, you represent a father that might have abused them or beat them or whatever, something in their life that went wrong. And now you're the you're the bad guy they could unleash on. So, um, you know, I just try to be the best I can and the best I can to the other person that's angry. And, and we go from there. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. The, the very side of the people who are, are majority of these people doing the protests um, and, and like the, the really, you know, awful, not just like peaceful, but just, you know, really awful stuff. A lot of their points are stop, stop labeling people, stop making everybody one thing, stop making one race everything. But yet this is my big problem. This is why I see both sides. But then they turn around and make every police officer and they attach the face of mm -hmm. the one, one police officer in a video doing something wrong. So they, they put that face on all of you and make right. it all, all of you. And at the same time, they're saying, you need to <laughs> be, a, you need to stop looking at everyone as the same thing and stop, you know, assuming one right this over here this neighborhood whatever is 
And it, it's just unfortunate because that's how they see you. Right. And yet they're asking for the, the exact same thing that you, you need. And it's right. hurting. It's hurting. And it's hurting. It's hurting the country and beyond. Yes. Yes, so, it is. Yeah. What do you think the turning point's going to be? Uh, like we were saying, rock bottom. Uh, well, I think the, the, the major thing, we, we got to get people back to work. I think there's just a lot of angry, frustrated people out there with a lot of time on their hands mm -hmm. that don't have their own mission, whether it's work or a school, what have you. They're, they're pissed at themselves, number one, and they're going to vent. And so the, the sooner we can get people back on into uh, normalcy and um, the sooner this, you know, tension will will decrease. So I, I think agree that's 100%. Gonna be, that's going to be the tipping point. So, you know, we, we got to face it head on. I mean, it's, it's, we, we, we see what this country is made of and what it could do when people are together. So we got to get people back on track. And that's, that's the fastest way. And uh, for the police department itself, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, rebuilding of relationships and, and mending of fences and uh, internal things. Um, that's, that's the thing that a lot of people, a misconception uh, on the police department that the public has about the police department. We're usually the hardest on our own. <clears throat> if you go to like, like little police only groups on social media and all that, you should see when they have like different incidents of little uses of force or whatever, we're tear apart each other out way worse than the public ever will because we have a standard that we have to meet. And if you don't meet that, it, you know, it's, it's dog eat dog in the police department, like, you know, talk about busting balls, but it's to the even higher level. So most uh, internal affairs investigations um, that happen, the majority come from within. So people think that there's this uh, uh, blue wall of silence is called, we call it like the, the blue wall of Swiss cheese because it, it's false. But stuff that gets perpetrated in the media, whatever, it's, yeah. um, it's, it's not the norm. So the biggest, um, you know, whistleblowers within the police department, uh, in, you know, within law enforcement comes from within. So that just doesn't get out there. And that's, that's why I'm here to put that out there. So the, word, the last thing we want to do is to work with someone that's going to be a liability and right. not an asset. So if someone's out there doing the wrong thing, it's going to catch up to them. And it will get reported. That person will hopefully get fired if it rises to that level. And that's the last person I want to be in a car with or have out there on the front lines engaging with a CNN camera there. So, yeah, so that's, I want to put that out there, what people think that we close ranks. And it, it happens, you know, on occasion. I mean, could never say it doesn't, but it's the majority of it, it's the opposite of trying to get rid of people and fire them, discipline them, and uh, get them moving on. It's, it's, it makes our job 10 times worse every time something goes uh, national okay. or internally. So so to, to let you go, um, thank you so much. I know that we, we extended our time a bit. Um, I, I know I mentioned it, and um, it, it speaks to what you were just saying, but your shirt, I think a lot of times in that company and that code, um, a lot of the guys that I know through Emerald Society and like the Boston mm -hmm. PD guys and you, like you guys back that 
that code, that like code of honor and loyalty. Again, like you're saying, these guys aren't who you want by your side. You're not, you don't want them in the foxhole. You don't want them in the patrol car. They're, they're not, they're not in the same level as you representing the same thing. So it's, so you have that, you have a loyalty, but you should have a loyalty and code to the people who, who are like you, you know, that have the same values trying to let you go. But I'm, I'm also like, I've heard a lot of, I've seen some people have like backlash on like the Omerta code, that whole like, oh, that's why, that's why nothing ever happens because they're all silent. And you're like, (laughs) well, no, that's not really, it's not really it. (laughs) So. Right. Right. I mean, everyone should have a code in life, you know, code Mm -hmm. of ethics, you know, code of honor. And, you know, on the, on the police uniform, you have the shield, uh, which, you know, symbolizes, you know, protector, and then you have your name tag on there. So you're representing your clan, your people, yourself, and then you're representing uh, what you stand for and what you do in life. And you, you have to you know, wake up every day or finish your day. And I, I try to think, I'm like, was I, did I do the best I could today? Um, could, could I have done better? Um, what, what's, my, what's my standard? Did I, did I exceed it or did I go below it? And just take a self-assessment. And you need those, you know, t- whatever it is, the Ten Commandments, you know, uh, the Ranger Creed, whatever it is, you need something to live by and a, a metric to look at uh, and break down at the end of the day. That, that's what helps me. And, you know, look at that checklist and like, did I, did I hit all these things today? If not, I'm going to try to double down tomorrow. So that's, that's what the, you know, like a gentleman's code or whatever code you want to, uh, that you subscribe to. That's, mm-hmm important I think in life and uh and just to just be honest with yourself and uh and continually try to improve every day and take self-assessments and and see how you could do better for yourself and others well thank you I appreciate it I hope people get something out of this and start seeing things a little bit more in reality instead of just the clips of uh you know newsreels and hatred and you know anger and everything on on all sides so i appreciate it tell yeah. stacy i apologize <laughs> and that i want her on <laughs> so. yeah yeah you, you, you yeah. love her yeah it's yeah. very uh very rare to have a female working I, God, homicides I, for she is decades in south central los angeles it was literally i had like a list of like i don't know five or six people and uh like i told um annie early on i was like this chick is a badass. I have to talk to her. I have to talk to her. So I know yeah, it's been yeah. um, it's been in the making. She had some stuff going on. I mean, with oh, like murder so, yeah, cases. So busy. Yeah, oh, murder yeah, cases. No, so off, off time is very rare. Yeah, uh, but yeah. We'll, we'll get her on because I, yeah. I want to hear it myself. And, yeah, exactly. And I know, exactly. You know, the, the female perspective doesn't get out there enough, and it, it's absolutely. Really love it and it's, it's extremely valuable so but thank you guys for thank you letting me you know vent and espouse and uh share my it. my point of view and feelings and all that and you know if anyone wants to discuss further you know uh look me up on instagram um at naco i'm on there it's uh, public and if you got you know questions about law enforcement or whatever how to join how to uh, not join <laughs> how to get rid of us uh suggestions whatever i'm open to that i'm always here to have a conversation just because the your opinion is not the same of mine, I, right. you know, doesn't matter to me. It's uh, I value the person and you know, their opinions, whether I agree with them or not. I, I, t- I take them 
as a gift. So if I hear them and, you know, we could all be friends, you know, you don't, you like uh, vanilla, I like chocolate, you know, we both like ice cream at the end of the day. That's all it is. We both want a, a safe or productive uh, environment to, for us to live in and our kids and generations beyond that. So we just have different roads of getting there. So defunding, refunding, whatever, we, we have the same goal. So we just have to hear each other out and come up with a solution. So that's it. I found this so enjoyable. I really, I, I learned so much from you. And if I raise my kids to be half the man you are and with the discipline and the way that you prioritize things and put things in perspective, then I will have done a good job. Thank you so much for everything that you do for everybody. And I think the fact, the way you're open is just, honestly, it means, it means the world to me. And thank you for everything you did 9-11 because we would not have survived without you and your guys. So thank you. No, no, no. Thank the, thank the people of, of this country that, that got us to do that. So it goes back. So, but I appreciate those words. It means a lot to me. And hug your wife, your, your, your significant other. I don't know if she's your wife, but yeah. hug her. No, 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 not, not yet. <laughs> we'll see if she's good. <laughs> I tell her if she's good, maybe. <laughs> wow. I can't wait to meet her. She sounds like an incredible person, and I'm going to be in awe of her, too. So I'm, look, I'm yeah, really looking she, forward to it. Thank you. I'm so. in awe of her. Yeah, she's 20 times better than I am. So, yeah, you guys will have a good time with her. But appreciate you guys taking the time. I appreciate it. Thank, Thank you, you Naka. so much. All right. Have a good day, and I hope your coffee is not too cold. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. Have a good night. All right. Bye. Thank you so much. Take care. You got it. Bye-bye. What an amazing get, O'Malley. He's wonderful. He's wonderful, and he's he's everything everything that you complimented him for and described is – it's 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 nice to know that there are people like that out there mm-hmm. and more people need to recognize that and see that they're in or Yeah. You know, like I think that's very, very important. And um, you know, makes you like like he was saying at the end of the day, you you want to make sure that at the end of the day you did something productive that day. He makes me want to do that. Like after we had spoken to Danny Boy, I, I make up my gratitude list now because mm-hmm. of him. And I'm gonna walk away like saying you know, now from this, I'm going to walk away saying, did I do something today for the better? Did I make the world a better place today? And I think that's something people need to do more often mm-hmm. and not just do it like, oh, I was out there screaming on a, on a picket line with other people saying, you know, defund the police. That's, that's not making the world a better place. That's just screaming into the ether. That's just punching the tide. Like you need to actually be productive. You want to get out there and you want to, you know, see what changes need to be made in the police department. Go take him up on his offer. Go for a ride that day. Learn more. Sit down and educate yourself as to what, why they're doing what they're doing. And it's you had made an excellent point before when you were talking about how there is this person, this imposter inside this uniform wearing this badge. And it made me think of teachers. And though, so when he brought up um, the sexual case against the children that he was talking about, you know, people don't do this to teachers. They don't say defund the, the Board of Ed when a, te- a bad egg comes up, that teacher gets prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. And I don't think people recognize that, that there's, it's the same thing. It's just because they have a badge, you know, well, this person has your kid. So mm-hmm. I think they need to put into perspective more that it's not a blanket statement the way they're all saying. It mm-hmm. is an imposter inside a costume because that's what it is to them. They're that's not wearing it, it because they're... Right. And I think that was an excellent point. And for somebody who 
doesn't have the background that you have, the law enforcement background and the military background, the way you, the way you presented that was, a, was, was excellent because it made me think of it in different terms. And I think if everybody's, not that I was ever anti-police, never, I was, I was, I'm never a defund the police person either, but um, it just, it just makes you think a different way about it. And for somebody that I'm going to speak to going forward, who is that way, it's, it's going to help me have a conversation with them on a more intellectual level. Yeah. I, I have had a, I've had a very hard time with people who are, are blindly either way, the defund or the anti-cop, um, even before the defund stuff and the people who are just blind, blindly, you know, thin blue line, you know, back to that, all of that's all of that. I, you know, the blue wall, all of that. I, I have a problem with it. And the reason, you know, I wanted to make it very clear. The reason I have a problem with it is because when these people, you're not backing the people that you're saying that you're backing, you're backing the people who are the worst that somehow right. made it through right. and that get to where, get to where that thing right. that you respect so much, but they don't. They I, I, I couldn't it. agree with you more. It was, a, it was an excellent so, point. Like, so I didn't what are know you doing? Who... It, dry, it drives me mad to have blind, like just blind faith like that. Um, you yeah. know, like they do no wrong. Like I just, like that is just such a, it's, I understand why um, it's sort of like the, you know, uh, the war on drugs and all of that, you know, those slogans that just kind of ended up backfiring like in the long run because it ended right. up being something different, you know, just say no, all of that stuff. It's like that, that whole campaign mm -hmm. has become like this image that anything they do is okay. And this, all these people are going to be okay with it. And there are people who have been brought up on that, never thought twice about it and think that way and, and never, never made it clear. Like you're talking about putting somebody that is a risky character next to somebody whose life could be taken because they're trying to protect you. And they're, you know, it just drives me, it just drives right. me insane. That's why there's a lot of things that, that happen in the military that if, if something happens, you can't go back out until this is resolved because they don't right. want you in that hole. They don't want you in that tank. They don't want you next to somebody if you're not going to be the best law enforcement or you know, military that you can be. I, it's, it was a wonderful, it was a wonderful, I, um, what's the word, um, way you brought it up. I, I loved it. I had a laugh when you guys were talking about, um, you know, if somebody does something, everybody gets in trouble. I do that to my kids. Mm -hmm. I do that to my kids. Like, you know, if, if the next person to complain or say another word, if one of you says one more thing, then nobody's getting dessert. Mm -hmm. And there's always one who's like, but that's it. Nobody's getting to, and then they all look at that. Like now Mike like now they, they learn by the time that, you know, but they, they learned, but they learned like that was it. If anybody says anything and then like, you know, I would always be like, you know, but I really have to go to the bathroom. I, all right, you go like I, I could, cause I could hear the bathroom mm -hmm. and it's like, Oh, that was legit. It wasn't just you know, like yeah. I had to wait on, but the, the, I do the same thing. If anybody else says another word about this, I'm telling you right now, nobody is going to get anything later. And then they deal with it amongst each other. Like, you know, why would you do that? She told you that we weren't going to, now you ruined it for me. Now I can't have ice cream for dessert because you had to say something and it's good. It, you know, 
my sister, I learned that from my sister. And I, th- I think that's a, um, cause that didn't happen to us as kids, mm-hmm. but um, she always did that with her kids. And I thought it, it really is. There is something about it. Like a lot yeah. of the, I grew up in a very strict household. So, and um, raised alone. Um, so, you know, everything was always my fault <laughs> to begin with, but any type of organization I was a part of pretty much had that, like, you know, if one person does something, everybody is going to be impacted by it. And, you know, some people feel like that's a strict, you know, type of life. And it was, and it is, and boy, did I hate it, but it makes me appreciate yeah, you know, the whole, like, get it together. Mm-hmm. Don't be, you know, you're only as fast as your slow person, you know, all of right, that right. stuff. Like, you know, you're only as good as your, you know, it's like, you know, you gotta, I don't know. I, 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 anyway, I just, this whole topic has just driven me crazy all year. Just driven me crazy because I can't speak. I, I have to be on one side or another and I'm not. I'm never going to be on one side Why or another. Why do you have to be on one side yeah, or no, the other? No, this is, this is like the, this is, I'm not saying me. I'm saying like, like everybody. Argument? Oh, the like, world. Today. Like yeah, the yeah. world right now right. is like, you're either here or here. And it's like, no, 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 no. And that's no, why. You're all wrong. I'm right. right, for right. Being right. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. But that's why we wanted to go forward with this sort of like, let's take a topic. Now, you know, next time it might be relationships and what, you know, somebody's doing, you know, today was, you know, it's heavier. It's, it's a, you know, it's a big national discussion that has yeah. spread like he said, internationally, like this is going mm-hmm. everywhere. So um, will we change the world? No. But if we can change somebody from, if we can at least enlighten just how I said it to him mm-hmm. and we talk all the time. Yeah. And you know, I don't know if I've ever said it that way to you, but all of a sudden you're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. I didn't grow up that way. I didn't grow up with that background. I didn't grow up with the New York background and the stuff mm-hmm. program. Yeah, you know, I just didn't have that background. So there's going to be things I learned from you, but there, it just it drives me crazy that that people think that supporting law enforcement means supporting the people that make the make the the five o'clock news or six o'clock right. news or what. Or, that's not even a thing anymore. It's twenty four hour news, which is I wish would go away. But I'm with you. I couldn't agree more. I, I, I thought he was a pleasure to talk to. He was extremely relatable, which is, I think, something people forget that they are just people and not every single person is perfect. And there's always going to be a bad one in the bunch. And, you know, they do police each other. And I think him saying, I don't want that guy next to me. I want the guy who I can trust that's going to have my back next to me. You know, nobody wants that guy who knelt on that guy's knee on that guy's neck to be their partner. Nobody wants that guy. And it's unfortunate the way it's, it's unfortunate that people don't realize that. And I I think the way that you explained it was perfect. So if anybody wants to go back and re-listen, they should, because it was, or play it for their friend. He was, he was wonderful. And I'm looking forward to meeting his, uh, his girlfriend. So she's great. She's great. Thank you Um, so much for bringing them on. Thank you. Thank you. Um, People can find us on Twitter and Instagram. Um, boy, you have the Wallman things. I don't even know. Are, are, is that funny that I'm like, does are both of them have pod at the end? Uh, Wallman pod, yeah. You know, it's funny because I just I autofill. Like I, it just, you know, I get oh. to a certain thing. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, I just see like our little thing. And I'm okay. I'm such a, a typist. Like I'm, I'm a memory person. But you can follow so. us on Twitter at, at @womampod and the same thing on Instagram. And you can follow me at Ann McCarthy on Twitter and at 
Saint underscore and 100 <laughs> on Insta. Did I say that right? Yeah, yeah I hope. And I'm, <laughs> I am O'Malley and I am on Twitter at O'Malley underscore underscore. And I am on Instagram, barely posting, uh, but I am on Instagram at O'Malley underscore MC, like as in Mick, um, <laughs> but just MC. And, well, uh, thank thank you. you for tuning in. And honest to God, if you if you missed anything, go back and listen because Naka was incredible. And I think O'Malley's take was just wonderful as well. So thank you. Mom.